Hello, everyone. Hello. And welcome to episode 87 of the D&D Music Factory podcast. I am David. And I'm Dan. And Dan, tell everybody what we will be going to jail for today. So we... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yes, yeah, so we are going with... Uh, we're, start, we're starting them young this yeah. week. So we are choosing to uh, count on our favorite artists or groups that started before they were 18 that yeah. are, you know, rocking as kids, yeah. teens, young, or I guess late teens, some young teens. Yeah. Um, some even younger than that mm-hmm. on the list. Um, so we got we got some single digit boys around, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a really weird way to say it, um, but, but it is because it's like, our, like it, obviously we're not creeps. So, and and the reason yeah, I I should we're not pre- creeps. right not at all yeah. Uh, so I should preface that I came up with this list while I saw like a YouTube documentary on one of the artists that I'm going to talk about, and I'll call it out. Um, it's actually my number one, but that was the inspiration. I was like, oh, you know what? There probably is a lot of people that. Put out a lot of records under the age of 18 that maybe we don't even know about. Now, there's some really obvious ones. Um, most of them didn't make our list. It's funny. They uh, seems like the music industry is really fond of uh, underage girls. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think uh, men in our society are fond of underage girls. Yeah, I don't think that's... And it's weird. Yeah. And it's always been weird, and it will continue to be weird forever. Yeah, for sure. I remember like when Grimes got started early on, she would talk about how there were always guys coming up to her and telling her that they could help her become big. And she said, I never saw anybody ever go up to any guys that were my contemporaries or you know others in my scene. Nobody ever did that to them. It was only me, and it was only because I'm a girl. So that definitely sucks. But um, yeah, I mean, and obviously, this is not meant to be creepy. This, this no. is just to show, and, like and you were some saying, of them, yeah. some of them start out as family bands. Yeah. Some of them are individual singers. Uh, so my my only criteria that I had was some of the groups I've chosen have members who are over eighteen. Okay. But I did it where I was like, at least more than half of you. Okay. Had to be, you know, high schoolers. Yeah, I mean, this isn't. There's nothing hard and fast about this. So if that is, yeah. you know, I I did everybody under. Um, I, but that doesn't. It's a it's a podcast. It yeah, doesn't matter. Some kid bands. Yeah. But not like kids bop. So it's no. not annoying. No, no, no. Yeah. At least yeah. not to us. These, right. These are these are the good ones. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, some some may come as a surprise that the person or the band was that young, and some you may know. Um, but like you were saying, uh, you know, th- this is like it is impressive because some of these people are like, how did you even know how to do this at such a young age? Like, yeah, it's really really impressive to like have the ability to sing, play an instrument, and write a song all at a at a very young age is is impressive. And it's like when you hear stories about Paul McCartney writing I've just seen a face when he was like 15 or 16 or whatever it was. Um Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I actually used that song in another episode so but you know, we try not to put the Beatles in every episode either. So Yeah, it's just it's cool. Um and uh you know, just a, another unique way to look at music and talk about it. So, I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, and also, I do have to say, uh, sad news in the music world today. Tina Turner, unfortunately, passed away this afternoon. Oh no, um, I didn't hear that. Oh, you didn't see that? No. Yeah, it just happened this Shit, afternoon. Man. Um, so that's a huge bummer. She was awesome. Um, yeah. One of the best performers of all time. Best. One of the best, one of the best set of legs in music ever. Yeah. Those gams. Yeah, just. And like a crazy awesome. story how she started out with Ike and everything. And yeah. Like escaping that. And yeah. Like, 
being even bigger and the Rod Stewart stuff is awesome. Like mm-hmm. did some stuff with the Rolling Stones too. Yeah. yeah. She's awesome, man. That yeah, sucks. she was awesome. So I think she was eighty three, so if not not terribly uh, young, which is good. But if you haven't watched her doc on the previous HBO Max, now Max with yeah, what the fuck? Shit. Yeah, what the fuck it's is that all about? Shit. It's awful. I updated my app on my T. Te- it's terrible. The sync things. It's dumb. It's awful. Oh, great. Anyway, she's got a doc on there that's really good. You should definitely watch. It's like three parts. It's sick. Um, really cool artist that you may know very little about. You should know more. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um. So with that sad news out of the way, Dan, what? Uh, B-sides do you have for this week? So for B-sides, um, I got The Runaways, Cherry Bomb. Um, not oh. all members were under 18 at the recording. However, Cherry, uh, Sherry was, and so was Joan. So I was like, oh, that'll be cool. That's a cool song. Um, and I left that out. Just missed for me, but I, I mean, it's a classic. I always love the joke of like, should we do like female character development or should we just have a 10 second montage with Cherry Bomb? <laughs> that's great yeah Yeah. like that'll do it that song rules um i also got jump by crisscross um they were oh no how did i miss that (laughs) they were like 10 when they made that song they sure were and that was like a huge like cultural moment of everybody wearing their clothes backwards wait didn't i talk about we talked about crisscross before but we didn't i don't think we picked a song it's possible. But, we may have, yeah. That may um, be why I did, didn't think of it. Also got uh, Hidden in a Fog by Behemoth. Okay. Um, on the very first uh, Behemoth record, uh, Nurgle was only 17 on Sven, Sven Tevith, um, Okay. which storming near the Baltic. Uh, it is, I mean, it's black metal royalty. Like, he is, he's the guy, man. He is the Polish wonder. Dude rules. <laughs> um and he's great but he was you know 17 when he made those first like early cult records uh same thing with uh entombed uh supposed to rot off of left hand path i mean the the norwegian the you know the reason everybody bought hm2s that swedish death metal sound yeah they started everyone except their singer was he was like 22 and the rest of them were 17 oh wow um so i think he just like joined this band and was like I will show you the way boys <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and put that band together. And they were awesome. And, uh, nice. that, and then immediately followed by Wolverine blues unheard of in, in metal to be that good. That young is ridiculous. So, yeah. Uh, here's one that may surprise people that I love a lot. Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. I like I that think... song a whole bunch. We, Oh, I thought you meant that she was underage. No, 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 I don't think that'll surprise anybody. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we we talked about her at the end of the year episode, I think, right? Yes, yep. Was that this year or the year before? It might have been the year before. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, she's really good. Love her. She's great. Yeah, she's great, a really good songwriter. Great little sad pop songs. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the people like, oh, she's an industry plant. And you're like, yeah, she's a fucking Disney kid, you moron. Yeah, like, most people are. Yeah, like, yeah. so it's, yeah, like, dude, Ariana Grande sounds kind of manufactured. And you're like, yeah, guy. Yeah, like, she was made in the lab by Disney. I don't know what to tell you. People like to dance to them, right? So like, yeah, maybe just shut the fuck up. Yeah, or like, I just assume all pop music is plants. Like, it's because it is. There is no plant. There is no like, you know, Bruce Springsteen's a fucking industry plant. He never worked in a factory. Like the whole thing's made. He up. never works in a dirt factory. He never worked anywhere. His only job was like serving ice cream. No, I know. When he was like fifteen, and then, yeah, and then becoming just, famous. It's all a plant, man. Like yeah. the idea that like. No, I like, I like my artist, you know, cut from the claw. It's like, it's all nonsense. Right. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's, sometimes it's fun to hate on. I get it. 
Sure, we do it all the time. But I feel like you know some of these like young female artists, they get that shit way harder than they ever should. Yeah, definitely. And you're like, you know, I bet they don't write their songs. You're like, who cares, dude? Who cares? It yeah. doesn't matter. Um, you know, you know, fucking the Temptations never wrote any of their songs either. You gonna hate on them? Right. I mean, it's like you don't have to view every artist under the same light. If yeah. you want to value other artists because they do write all of their own music, then that's great. But you're probably talking about somebody different. Yeah. And and like, even I can like Otis Redding and Bob Dylan. Yeah. Like, you know, right. one wrote all their stuff, one didn't write any of it. They're both incredible. Yeah. Also, like, I can write every pop st- or like every pop star that Max Martin writes songs for. It doesn't mean that I like, I don't give the people who do more credit. So if somebody writes all of their music themselves, that just should make it more impressive. It doesn't mean that everybody else is garbage. It yeah. just means that that other thing is, is that much better. Like, and, you know, and, sometimes there's somebody like even a professional athletes, like Shohei Otani pitches and hits. Nobody else is doing that. Does that mean that every other baseball player is trash? Yeah. Cause they so can't mean, every do both. Pitcher's a piece of shit and like doesn't deserve to be right. On the team. Yeah. Like just, it's, just give the people who yeah. do both. Randy more Johnson never hit a ball in his fucking life. Yeah. Sure just a bird. Co- sure. His life batting average is Oh two. I should probably look that up. <laughs> Just because that is the exact kind of nerd Fucking shit that I would unit. learn. I would and they weren't love. talking about his height. His glove. Yep. Yeah, definitely his glove. His mustache. Yeah. All right, so uh, Dave, what do you got up for us on B-Sides? So I don't missed? have a ton uh, because we had, a, we had a little bit of crossover here, but Past the Duchy by Musical Youth, uh, which is hilarious uh, because the song is obviously about smoking weed and the one... Wait, it is? Isn't it? Weird. Right? All right. Yeah, I know. Um, but one of the kids was like 15. It's <laughs> hilarious. Well, D- different. Wait. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's, when you try, that's when you try it. I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> right? Like uh, 14, yeah. 15? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Billie Eilish, uh, bad guy. Oh, uh, yeah, that first one, right? The mm-hmm. whole first one. She was like. Yeah. Um, maybe even the second one. Cause, yeah. I think so. And her brother, I don't remember if her brother's younger or older, but he's, he's the one. Older. He's older. He like, write, Phineas, he yeah, writes yeah. all the songs. And so the first record, they were both under 18, which is pretty cool. I don't understand how she didn't catch the nickname Ferb with her brother being named Finn. I know. I like, know. Mean kids. like I know. And it was like the their generation, age. too. Yeah. I know. Like, it makes, you're yeah. the perfect age for mean kids to put you as Ferb. I know. Uh, maybe that's what she got in real life. Or, especially as a actually, t- they were probably famous before that. And you know, that. like a teenage girl would fucking hate being called Ferb. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I may not be remembering this correctly, but I feel like she was homeschooled. That's possible. I think she was homeschooled. I know they were like their their parents are pretty well off, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and "Party in the USA" by Miley Cyrus is the last one. I mean, yeah. I, I I still like that song quite a bit. Just didn't make the top ten for me. Yeah. In this in this instance, I like it more than a lot of the pop that was coming out at that time from sure. that crew. Yeah, for sure. Like the Beavers and the you know all that. Yeah, and she seems like just like a person who was born like manufactured like we described but was kind of like rebelling against yeah, it and hard rejected it yeah just twerking on robin thick yeah <laughs> and then like taking nude photos like every other day whereas like justin bieber was always kind of a piece of shit yeah and then people were just like well that album he did with skrillex was pretty good so we all kind of like softened our stance a little bit but like he's still a fucking piece of shit like he's yeah i yeah I didn't need to include him. All right. Well, um, let's get into it, Dan. What do you have up for us? 
with your number five pick. All right, so number five for me comes to us from the great ripe old year of 2005. This is from the first debut record from Paramore, uh, All We Know Is Failing, and the song's called Emergency. Now, at the time of release, uh, at the time of release of this album, Haley Williams was only 16, and Zach and Josh Farah were 17, or 15 and 17, respectively. There was also a person named Jason that was in this band that was a little bit older, but he departed immediately, like, before the release of the album. And some people think that that is what a lot of the lyrical content on this record is about, is about the idea of everything falling apart just as they, like, got a record deal and were ready to go. And it was this whole thing where in 2003, she signed a development deal with Atlantic Records as a solo artist, Haley Williams. Um, and they cut a few demos and basically she didn't want to be a manufactured artist for them. So instead she found like three songwriters that she knew that were in a band and kind of toiling around and started Paramore, signed a release deal for that band to Fueled by Ramen, um, the notorious, I guess now notorious indie label where really good bands generally go to write their worst album. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they didn't do that. They, they did really well. And this record, though, kind of flopped here in the U.S. Didn't really do much. Didn't crack the top 200, which is pretty surprising considering, you know, it's, a, it's an artist that Atlantic Records was interested in. Right. And, but didn't crack the top 200. Now it's certified double gold. or I don't think it's platinum still, but it's double gold. Obviously, with the explosion of Riot and the following right. records after that, yeah, that it went back and is now generally considered like a scene classic. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I remember when they kind of popped up on the scene, and it was like, yeah, it was just like pop punk band with this like kind of cute girl with like bright fucking orange hair singing for him. Like she looks like Vitamin C, and it was like oh, Vitamin man. C from the graduation song. Yeah, and then you saw him, and you were like. Okay, this is pretty. This is I get this. Yeah, like, just with a scene haircut. Just of fun a, little like yeah. yeah, just fun little songs that you're like, dude, this is cool. Yeah, and then absolutely following this, you know, that fucking misery business signal came out, and you were like, oh, of course this is gonna be huge. Yeah, they blew the fuck up. Yeah, they were and rightfully gigantic. so. They're they're talented. They're great pop songwriters. Like yeah. who who can fuck with it? It's like when you hear you know, it's like hearing a Weezer blue. Like immediately it's an earworm, and you're like, wow, it's catchy as shit. Mm-hmm. That girl can sing her fucking ass off. Like. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And then she, like, married fucking Chad Ball from fucking Newfound Glory. I didn't know weird, that. Yeah, dude. She married Chad Gilbert from Newfound Glory when he was, like, 30 and was deaf married when they met. Um, really They're uh, not good dudes Yeah, in that band. I don't know much. Well, I know about the one guy. Uh, the one guy from there was a convicted sex offender, I'm pretty sure, and got kicked out of the band. Uh, but I don't. That wasn't Chad Ball. Um, he was never convicted. <laughs> Um, so with that, Dave, what do you got up for us at number five for an artist that started under 18? All right. This one's kind of cheating, I guess. Um, number five for me is I think we're alone now by Tiffany. So this came out when she was 15 years old. So meets the age requirement, but didn't write the song. So I feel kind of like it's a little cheap, but it's still like, I mean, it was a fucking, it's one of the biggest hits of the 80s probably so yeah. like i think it's still like and the lore is is great with this yeah like it's great yeah so um 
originally, uh, this is a song by um, by the Shondells, by Tommy James and the Shondells, and it came out in 1967, and then her version um, was released in the 80s, when, like I said, when she was 15 years old, so she, her full name is Tiffany Renee Darwish, which I don't know why, but I think Darwish is such a funny last name for her, I don't know, just, it's just goofy in a weird way. Um, she also like, (laughs) I kind of forgot about this song for most of my life until at some point in like the 2000, like around 2010, sci-fi started putting out these like really just shit, bizarre movies about like killer piranhas and stuff like that. Yeah, Sharknados. Yeah, she's in two of them. And I was just like, oh my God. I, I was like, wait, the girl from that. And it was like kind of connecting the dots in my head. Um, I always thought that she was Molly Ringwald. Have, has from, anybody ever seen them together? I that's a great question. Especially like they're both hot at the same time. But her hair's not as red. It's not red at all. Isn't it? No, it's blonde. Tiffany's blonde? Well, she's red now, I think, but she was like if you look at this album cover. She's red on that album cover. I guess you're right. I, I feel like they just they looked it's just you They know, look like, very you're, They both right, look fine. like 16-year-old redhead girls. So I'm like those are okay. the same person. All right. So she was in Mega Piranha and Mega Piranha vs. Gatoroid. <laughs> Cinematic classics. Yeah, just like... There's Gatoroid. I remember just loving some of those movies just because they were so over the top oh, and yeah. ridiculous. They all had Dean Cain. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, one was definitely like Sharknado versus like Croctopus or something like That's that. That's so good. And it was, yeah, like literally a, a tornado that had sharks inside of it that was all CGI. Like it's, yeah, it's like... It's sucking up the ocean water into a tornado and then dropping it in other places with all the sharks. But the sharks could also attack you as the tornado went Yeah, by. it was it was throwing active sharks. Oh my god. Yeah, those movies Amazing. are so incredible. Brilliant. Um it's crazy too. Like she's 51 years old. Like that, that that's how you know how young she was when this came out. Like that that song's over 30 years old. Like to think that I'm 36 and it came out before I was born. It's really like wild. that's fucking nuts. Um, yeah, it it's just such a great, just full cheese '80s pop track. Like, what's not to like? I mean, you know, if it's an '80s pop song with a female vocalist, that I'm going to be all over it. Yes. Um, speaking of, kind of related because it's like a '50s '60s artist that makes appearances in the '80s. Stay bar by Maurice. Um, what's his name? The song, you know, the song "Stay." It's in "Dirty Dancing." Yeah. That's why I'm thinking of it. He wrote that when he was like 13 or something like that. Oh shit! Yeah, and it's like the main song. It's a. Oh, won't you stay just yeah. a little bit longer? That one. I always thought that was uh, fuck the uh Jersey Boys guy. Frankie Valley. Yeah, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. No, it's Maurice something. Yes, yeah. Maurice, Maurice Sendak. No. Giving Tree. No. <laughs> But that'd be cool. <laughs> Wouldn't that be insane? That'd be like, cool. Before he took the creepiest back cover photo of all time, <laughs> he also wrote this song. That would be amazing. So I don't know if you know this, but in 2008, there he made a documentary called I Think We're Alone Now. That was two individuals, Jeff and Kelly, who claimed to be in love with 80s pop singer Tiffany. Oh, I think I did hear and about this. And they are this. like obsessive stalker level like, oh, good. fans. That's healthy. And it was interesting because you've never really seen a woman stalk another woman. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
or at least I had it. I'm sure it happens. Of course it yeah, does. Probably. Yeah. Like, you know, you see the people outside of like, you know, we mentioned before, but outside of like Bieber's house at like four in the morning mm-hmm. being insane. But like, I'd never seen a woman do that to somebody. Yeah, that's and a fair was, point. That's it's such a weird doc. You got to find it. It's awesome. Um, it was on Netflix. That's where I okay. saw it. But I saw it maybe, you know, at fucking 10 years ago. At this oh, point. wow. Okay. Yeah. So. Who knows if it's still on there? Really weird, and like she's in it some, and like is talking about her how creeped out she is. Jesus, it's yeah, nuts. All right, well, that seems like a good point to to change. Dan, why don't we go over to your number four pick? Number four for me comes to us from the twelve-year-old genius known as known then as Little Stevie Wonder. This song is called Fingertips. Um, specifically, I chose the live cut. Because on the live cut, this little dude plays harmonica like the fucking riot, dude. He is ripping. Um, and it opens with this great like hand conga and clapping. And he immediately just starts shredding. Like he's it's it's like outstanding R and B, man. He was twelve years old. Uh, this was released by Tamla Records. I always thought this was gonna be from uh what's it called? From Motown. Which he did some records for, but this was OG on Tamla as well. Which I didn't know that. Um, so it topped the Billboard Top 200, which is insane. And the R&B singles chart. When this song came out, which is in 1963, that's absolutely insane, man. Um, and it's, it's often considered Billboard's top LPs from under 18. That this is like number one. Yeah. Is this little Stevie Wonder? If you don't know Stevie Wonder, I don't. I mean, he's he's the the maybe top five best pop piano players that's ever been. He's um, probably in a lot more top five lists than we realize. Like, and you know, vocalist, song. Most people recognize that he is blind, but there is very funny conspiracy videos that he is not blind. Um, that are it's just a funny take I mean he, yeah. he's definitely blind but like there are a few videos of him like catching mic stands and shit that's like kind of funny he's got the like sixth sense <laughs> yeah, you know like, like daredevil yeah exactly he can yeah. see people when it rains yeah um, <laughs> when it rains the reflections they come off stuff and he can see um, but it's 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 nuts man this song is so good like he's got this like big giant backing band behind him like I'm picturing Everybody's in like white suits. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Ooh, and like, it's yeah. standing behind like po- little like podiums. Mm-hmm. And he's just and he's got then you know like uh, SW is like written on all of them. Yes, like, they're the Stevie Wonder's band. So white suits with big black lapels, right? Yeah, yeah. And tails, yeah, tails yeah. on the coats. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we're, we're we're in the same boat. I just, it's absolutely awesome, man. Um, yeah, it's if you ridiculous. If you haven't heard this before, it's just nuts that. I was finding a bunch of his songs and going through a bunch of them from when he was little Stevie. And like a lot of it's just kind of, you know, what you'd imagine, just a young kid singing yeah. some kind of like standards and classics. But this is the one that I was really like, oh shit, man. Like, he's really ripping here. Yeah. And it's really exciting. It's it's fun and it's bombastic and it's exciting. And I just had to pick it, man, because he's I mean, he's fucking twelve years old. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really it's it's insane. Yeah, for somebody to be this ahead of people twice his age, and then it goes like a full like four minutes before he starts singing. Like it's just like an instrumental rip. Yeah. Before he gets into 
like he starts hitting the song I guess around four and a half minutes where he just like it was like he was opening up and getting the crowd hyped up and then starts singing a little bit and like this very soft sweet and then goes into like some funny little parts um playing like you know uh do you know the muffin man and stuff like that <laughs> it's really funny but it's like a, more songs you would expect somebody yeah. that age to be playing like, yeah it's it's really great uh if you haven't listened to it definitely check this record out it's super cool great live album please go after it dave what do you got up for us at number four all right up at number four for me is bravado by lord um i talked about this uh, EP and I actually mentioned that this was kind of like a B-side, I guess, sort of. We were talking about the uh, tracks from our record collection, and uh, it just missed the cut on that one, but it it counts here and and you know gives me a chance to talk about it finally. So this is from her debut EP, uh, which came out when she was 16 years old. Um, it, it was called uh, the Love Club EP, that was again then re-released. On the Tennis Court EP, and then on the extended version of her debut album, Pure Heroin. Um, not on the original, or like the normal version that you would get, but if you got the extended version, it was included in there too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a mega pop star's, one of the first songs they ever wrote. And it doesn't sound like it came from a 16-year-old at all. No. Um, it's so impressive, like, what this girl was able to do at such a young and still doing i mean she's only 26 now like it's not like she's like done like there's still I, her last album granted was not received super well um people didn't love it i think people were just kind of sick of jack antonoff for a little while yeah um but uh this early stuff man like I, you can see why she's the megastar that she is i mean she's a fantastic writer and performer and an artist and uh you know this is this is how it starts so she co-writes and uh, works with Joel Little, who's a New Zealand songwriter and producer. He produces this um, and has worked with a lot of other like really big artists throughout his time, too. Um, I can't even list all of them in the amount of time that would fit in this song. So look him up if you're, you know, if you're interested. But he, he does the production work on here and... Um, she described it as being kind of a song about, you know, her, like, uh, I guess, like, introvertedness. I don't know if that's really, like, a word, but, um, you know, just wanting to, you know, being the shy, awkward kid that she was at the time. You know, that's just how she, you know, vocalized it in a pretty cool song. And it's also, like, I think really cool that for a pop artist, it's very dark. Like, they're calling it chamber pop, pop um which is sure it's a thing but what does that mean what is chamber what's chamber pop i think it's like more like a gothy kind of sounding pop like what some of these like um like the, some of the darker gothier sounds that some like like kind of like what billy eilish does too and it's like a lot of reverb like not as you know just four to the floor in your face kind of pop music that most kids you would think are putting you know most yeah. people, when they get discovered, they're just going to be like, here's the, the eight songs that were written for you. They're all the same. And, uh, you know, four, three of them will be hits. Uh, enjoy your enjoy your awesome life from here on out. She kind of like has like a darker, slower, more artistic look into all of this. And, and, you know, I always thought Royals was the same way. It's not a traditional sounding pop song for a young yeah. artist to be putting out. 
Um, kind of sparse compositions. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like like I said, very rever- reverby. You know, you can hear in this, there's not a whole lot of instrumentation. No, and the, the bass isn't like a dome to dome, dome to dome, right. dome. It's just kind of a. Uh, yeah, like it's very low soft. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, yeah and, and it works out really well for her singing style and songwriting. And, you know, every song in this, it, it's a five song EP, but they're all good. And Royals happens to be one of the songs that's on it. I mean,. It's just like all of this. It's super impressive for somebody this age to be putting out something this fantastic. And you know, for her, you know, Tiffany didn't really have a huge long career after that with music. Yeah. Um, Lord's but, done pretty well. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did watch her. You know, she is a huge pop star, and then I did watch her sing with Nirvana at the uh, <laughs> the like. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. So. Pretty fucking wild stuff. But she's done pretty good. Yeah, she's done okay. It's like her, St. Vincent, and fucking Kim Gordon. So it's like... Jesus Christ. I think she's done okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. All right, Dan, what do you have up for us with your number three pick? All right, number three. There's no way I wasn't going to squeeze one in. This is Knee Deep. Heavy jazz? Job for a Cowboy. No. This, my friend, is what would come to be known as Deathcore. <laughs> um, so if you don't know this band... Job for a Cowboy. This record came out in 2005, and they're from Arizona. Uh, it's like a five-song EP that initially was released on a label with the worst name ever, King of Monsters, and then was picked up and reissued in 2006 by Metal Blade, a pretty substantial label if you want to be a metal band. Yeah. I mean, they they founded a ton of classic artists, as well as the Goo Goo Dolls. They are an exceptional label. Hilarious. Um, they're about as big as you can be with while still being somewhat indie. Um, they're like, you know, they're the, they're the capital records of heavy metal. Like it's them. Yeah. Probably, um, probably a good comp would be, uh, the company my wife used to, Laura used to work for cause they have, um, like XL records. They have Adele and mm-hmm. like, uh, the Pixies and yep. like basically every big indie artist that sells millions of records. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what they do. Yeah. Um, and it is, so this record, um, it's really funny because this is kind of the only record. Oh, sorry. So this song's called Knee Deep. I didn't say that. I thought you did. Um, I think you said, said it at the beginning. I tried to. Yeah. Uh, but I forgot if I did. So let's, we'll just double down. Um, but this is... It's really funny how much the band released this record, kind of invented this genre, and then immediately rotated out of it with their next album. Like, they got signed to Metal Blade. They did an album after this. And abandoned this. They no more pig squeal sounds. They kind of went for a modern death metal sound. Much cleaner production on it. And it's really funny. The best thing that I read about it was from a reviewer. That uh, it didn't really get a lot of positive reviews when it came out. Which is really funny considering how massively popular this was in the scene. And the best write-up I heard was almost overnight hordes of MySpace copycats sprang up even lifting the band's logo font. This is where it all started or ended, depending on your perspective. It's just in the sense of this is where the genre started or should have died because a (laughs) hundred bands came out that sounded just like this and were half as talented. So this is one of those, I will always love this. Um, And it was fucking awesome when it came out. It was just a wild, I mean, it was, it was the first thing I ever heard that was brutal, intense death metal with super heavy breakdowns, which, you know, 
14-year-old me, that was very important, too. Uh, yeah. Breakdowns mattered a lot. Yeah. And so I've definitely come to, like, enjoy them less in my older age. Like, I almost tend to turn away from songs with them because I feel like it's like a hokey. It's like if you hear a record of somebody going, like, come on, everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. sing along right here. You're like, ah. It could just be that we're, like, you know, to even, like, entertain the idea of getting into a pit, we would need, like, knee braces. Oh, my God. I you know what I mean? To... Like, I think that, I think it's like, you know, you think of most things that you enjoyed when you were a child. I would and... need a helmet, and I would need pinky promises that nobody would bump into me. Yes. And then I would mosh my fucking face off. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm that pinky promise it. is the most important thing because, like, if some, you know, at my age, if somebody blew on my knee from the right angle, you know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna like collapse. You're and out never of commission walk for a while. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I can't risk it, man. No, it's not worth uh, it. You watch somebody go to throw a spin kick at the same time somebody goes down. That's a hyperextended knee, man. Which oh, yeah. at 17, yeah, I'll be better in a week. That's no problem. Sure. Nothing broke. I'm fine. Yeah. Now I might limp forever. <laughs> like, yeah, I couldn't handle you an injury and your, like that. You and your knee will just have to deal with that for the rest yeah, of your dude. lives. <laughs> it's crazy, but I don't know what it is. I think just the breakdown—it just got like it had its place I think in our it, lives. I think, I think it think, got yeah. too big and too important to songs that it became like it has to have breakdowns. Like it's got to have a hundred breakdowns, and they got to be the slowest and the heaviest ones ever, or it sucks. Yeah, and then it was like, well, now this is dumb. I think too, it was bigger. I think it was a bigger deal for like it. We discussed in our breakdown episode, like being a part of a music scene or having those bands show up. You could enjoy a hardcore band that showed up that day you've never heard of if they had sick breakdowns. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're going to listen to their rec- record. That's very very true. Um, so I didn't mention ages on here. Um, oh, there was only one. Only their singer was 18. The other three members, both guitarists and bassists, were 17, and their drummer was fucking 15. That's pretty cool. Which is crazy, man, because this kid is, he's ripping. Yeah, like, he is. This is some intense drumming, man, for a 15-year-old. I mean, I don't i don't think I could find my ass with a map and directions and a flashlight in the dark, like, at 15. This guy's fucking killing I was me. very aware of my ass at 15. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, Dave, what do you got up for us at number three? Up at number three for me is Mbop by Hanson. This has to be the one of my favorite transitions we've ever made in the history of this podcast. To go from the band that invented Deathcore to fucking Mbop by Hanson. It just shows you our versatility, Dan. Get in the pit, pussies. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) There was a tweet recently that was like, a man was attacked, like, a man sues after being attacked at Elton John concert. The top comment was someone just said, stay out of the pit, pussy. (laughs) That's fantastic. Amazing. That's really good. Um, Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest songs in my childhood. um, They were, like, basically our age when the song came out, I think. Actually, a little bit older. But, like, 13, 14, and 17, I think, were the ages of the three brothers of Hanson uh, when this song came out um, in the 90s. And it was, like, every girl our age's favorite song for a long time because they were like it was huge they were like they were they all had like the 90s middle part and they were wearing long sleeve shirts under short sleeve shirts Mm -hmm. it was just it was the whole thing was such a vibe dude a lot of umbro shirts and yeah yeah and it yeah it it was very uh very 90s they made packs on the fortune 500 company (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's catchy as shit. It's hard, like looking back on it. Obviously, we all hated it because we were like, "Oh, the girls, all the girls think those guys are the coolest." But like, what about us? Turns out these guys were all right. Like, they weren't that bad. They seem yeah. like they seem like great guys. From yeah. what I've seen of like modern interviews and stuff, and I don't think the fame ever went to their head. They were like, "Look." We've got a hit. We'll ride it as long as we can. It's funny that you mentioned that because in an interview, uh, he kind of talks about what the song is about. Um, and here's the quote. Uh, actually, let me find this. This is from a 2004 interview with Song Facts. Um, Zach Hansen explains what the song talks about is you've got to hold on to the things that really matter. Mbop represents a frame of time or futility of life. Things are going to be gone, whether it's your age and your youth, or maybe the money you have, or whatever it is, and all that is going to be left are the people that you've nurtured and have really built to be your backbone and your support system, end quote, which is Dude, like exactly what, what you just said. What the actual fuck? Like, also, what the actual bro, fuck? Your song is like, yeah. don't fucking put your psychoanalysis. I know, it's hilarious. Like, like it's, about the t- it. it's about the time we had and, God, and lost. Yeah. Like, your first semester psych student nonsense, all yeah. that shit. Like, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Dude. I know, it's hilarious. You made a song where you ad-libbed noises and it was catchy as fuck. And, and in the same <laughs> interview... It's actually about dealing with the death of my father. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Bob's a point. Pl- yeah. Like, knock it off. Yeah. It, we, there's a little... <laughs> I fucking love this. It's in the same interview. He talks about how they came up with the idea as like a background vocal part to another song. And then they just didn't leave their heads or they just built the song around it so no it yeah. wasn't a fucking like yeah. metaphor for something yeah. I you think, literally I just think the used part it where i go do bop is really about life it's about yeah <laughs> yeah like it clearly sounds like a thing where they were like i want the vocal pattern to be like this mm-hmm. and then we'll write lyrics later yeah and then you just i know never bands that have do done it. that where they'll do they'll yeah. go in and like i think most people do that and then they're like, I'll write lyrics to fit that cadence. Right. This is how I want it to sound. And then they're like, why don't you just fucking leave a bop in there? That's pretty catchy. And it worked. <laughs> it did. It did it work. It fucking worked. And like, it was a clear, like, I think it was also like a perfect, a perfect 90s version of like the David Bowie of the 70s and then the K-pop BTS of now of like the, the appeal of the androgyny to kids to girls of like look at these very pretty boys and it like it worked yeah it was a weird thing i mean they made the jokes about it on family guy of like yeah oh if you could have hook up with any celebrity who would it be oh probably those handsome chicks yeah like what like no those are guys it's like no wait seriously i have like posters and stuff guys are you serious <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i forgot and, i mean about the that. grosser yeah. part of that is the fact that they were like seven but yeah true yeah true um, it's just wild. It's it's really funny. I remember that was constant. Like they look like girls. Yeah, that's like what from that's all us, every, bo- from all us. That's what we all boys. said because yeah. we were just jealous that yeah. all the girls were obsessed with it. It was like every girl we knew had this poster, and then like yeah. Leo DiCaprio from Titanic. They loved, they loved two things. They loved listening to Hanson and standing in groups doing the Macarena. Those were <laughs> two loves of girls at summer camp that year. Yeah, I, uh, it was big. Sure, it was real big. <laughs> Whatever you say, Dan. Um, all right. What do you have up for us with your number two pick? Number two for me, probably the hardest song on this collection. This is Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne off of her debut solo album. Or I guess solo is whatever. 
Um, yeah, she kind of. She was. She yeah. wasn't with the band. So, no. um, of the album "Let Go" in 2002 from Arista, Canada's best export, Avril Lavigne, um, who would later go to marry Canada's second best export with the guy from Nickelback, which is insane. Yeah, and then and also she was married to the guy from Sum Forty One for a while. Bad idea. Um, and so yeah, anywhere, anyway. Um, this is, I mean, like, this is the greatest pop song ever, man. Who did? Who didn't know this song? Like, who didn't know this? Complicated. Everybody, everybody liked this record. Every girl started wearing ties with their shirts yeah, with their checkered like vans and yeah. their checkered vans and like it was a perfect picture of teenage fashion and like mall culture and yeah. skate culture coming together of like you know the big raccoon eye makeup oh, yeah. and like all the bracelets you know what i mean the so many bracelets the big jenko jeans still like it was it was wild, man. Um, I have a very vivid memory from this song. So. And it also, it's like the same story as like Teenage Dirtbag, too. In the sense of like, we're going to tell a story about like this like, you know, young alt kid and like he finally gets what's coming to him and it's awesome. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's it's perfect, man. Like, it, it feels, and I know it was like built in a fucking lab. Yeah. But like, it's just so perfect. Yeah. That you're like... Of course it was. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's like a feat of engineering. So when we were, when I was in eighth or ninth grade, as we were talking about, you know, when we started smoking weed at 15. Yeah. We, me and my friends built, not really built, just kind of like nailed a couple pieces of wood together to create a small shack to smoke weed in off the side of the train tracks in North Wales. Nice. And so we thought it was secluded enough and nobody would ever find it. But some girls found it and spray painted Skater Boy on it. Yo, that's hard as shit. It, like, Were you guys afraid to fuck with their turf after that? No. Um, I think it was more just like at that point we hated this like we cause, yeah because that was like peak like i'm listening to heavy music like, not peak of that but like you know we were listening to heavy music and thought that we were the cool yeah, that's dumb girl stuff. yeah yeah we're men basically but yeah they they spray painted while you're walking back all the train, all like, yeah, yeah like all humming in our heads <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so that was a fun time <laughs> that's so funny yeah um so avril i i had to do i had to do a deep research which makes it sound weird when you're researching when a girl turned 18. But it was just to find out if this could make the cut. And she was like 17 and like six months yeah. when this came out or yeah. when it was released. So I was like, perfect. Like, I wasn't sure, but I was like, I had a feeling she was like an under 18 kid when this came out. So I remember being like, oh man, like, I remember that. Like, that's got to be as soon as you suggested a list, I was at work the next day and I was like, I feel like Avril's got to be on that, right? Yeah. And I'm very glad that it was because that song still slaps. If you don't know about that record, it's like, it's fucking seven times platinum, which is just ridiculous, dude. Like seven million copies. Um, It's got a diamond certification from Music Canada. It's it's platinum in like every country that exists. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know a single person that doesn't know at least one of the songs from that record. So with that, Dave, what do you got up for us at number two? All right. Up at number two for me is The Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica. 
So I believe Brandy was 18 at the time of this song coming out, but Monica was 17, which is crazy because like this is like a very adult issue. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, apparently not. You know, apparently the million people that wrote this song uh, didn't think that it was so adult for everybody. So the song came out in 1997. Uh, or I'm sorry, 1998, and uh, uh, Monica was born in 1980. So she was like almost 18, but hadn't hadn't turned 18 yet. The list of songs it's written by Lashawn Daniels, Jaffe Tejada, Fred Jenkins, Rodney Jenkins, and Brandy. Like that's a fuck ton of songwriters for one song. Rodney Jenkins. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another just '90s fucking classic. Yeah, like this, this video was on constant. Oh my god, it was so good. Yeah. I love the just like arpeggiated intro to this too. Like it's one of the best '90s R&B songs that's ever come that, out. Like yeah. wet envelope filter on the bass, so it's like it's great. Yeah, it's like harp. Yeah. Oh, like, lots it's of harp. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's wild. That could have been in our in our weird interest. Now I don't know if it's actually harp or well, it's, if it's like keyboard in our synthesized. Yeah. yeah, but like, it sounds like harp. Yeah, um, yeah, they did a good job of making it sound like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was inspired by "The Girl Is Mine" by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, um, and uh, one of the artists, or one of the songwriters. Said he came up with the idea while watching a Jerry Springer, also R.I.P., um, episode, which obviously if you grew up in the 90s, you know that every Jerry Springer episode was just about two people fighting over whether their child was theirs or the person that they were both in love with who it belonged to. I remember there was that one episode where like they had the clan guy on there. And then they just invited oh, a bunch of people on there, and they just got up and like beat the shit out of him. It was so good, dude. Nice. Like he was, he was obviously like you know, white power and like doing all that shit, mm-hmm. and like all of the other guests just like had enough and like kicked his ass, like on until and you could just see Jerry in the back, like <laughs> yeah, just loving it, yeah. <laughs> just loving it. I I didn't know like when he passed away that he was like a politician at one point. Like oh, there, yeah. he had like a a very wild extra part of his life that was not the Jerry Springer show that I just never never looked into or cared enough about until he passed away um, so I think um, you know something that's I don't know if at what point it happened but during the recording of this song they actually like started to hate each other Brandy and Monica so it like actually oh, became like a legit uh, like rift between the two of them um, and there's a, an interview in 2012 with Monica and she says, quote, we were young. We could barely stay in the room with each other. By no means was it jealousy or envy. She and I are polar opposites. And instead of embracing that, we use our differences as reasons not, not to be amongst each other, end quote. So, yeah, it's kind of you, you wouldn't expect them like to carry that into like their personal life, too. Um, but, you know, they're two young artists who are about to become stars um you know i'm sure egos were involved and that doesn't always leave people uh behaving at their best or being the most understanding about somebody else that's true it was also like a like a debut for both of them so like you know that they both wanted the attention so it's kind of like i mean i don't know that but i can assume i think it's safe to assume that two people who are about to blow up are hoping to become the bigger artists of the two 
when they're in a, a song about a competition, more or less. Yeah. It just, you know, it's it stinks. I don't know if they've ever remedied that, but, uh, you know, they did have to have to deal with some personal differences as well, which, you know, is kind of ironic considering what the song's about. All right, Dan, why don't we take it over to your number one pick? Number one for me is the greatest song featuring child singers of all time to me. Because, of course, how could it not be? This I Want You Back by the fucking Jackson 5, man. It's also one of the best bass lines ever this written. Is, it's one of the best songs ever written. Also true. If we ever did an episode that was the top 10 songs, if this wasn't at least in B-sides, it would be a major sham. Yeah. This song slaps. Just so good. Um, they spanned ages 11, which was Michael at this time. I thought he was younger than this, but it's because he was little. Uh, back then, but he was 11 and 69 when this song came out. And the oldest member being, um, at the time being uh, Marlon, um, was 17. So all of them were under 18 when this came out. But it is, I mean, who doesn't, originally released with Mo, from Motown Records, I mean, this is, you, you know, Gary, Indiana, 1964, they got founded. And they are kept trying to make something of them. They did a bunch of talent shows, local shows, and finally sit them down. Their father, Joe, was their manager. And they finally sit down and they write a hit for them. And it's fucking huge. Like, this is massive, dude. Um, it was the first number one hit for the band. Um, technically, it was 1931 or January 31st, 1970, sorry, 1931, um, is when it like started getting like charting. Um, it was performed by the band on television on Diana Ross's Hollywood Palace. Um, and it was, and on the Ed Sullivan show as well. It blew them up, dude. Originally it was released as a B-side um, of uh, Who's Loving You by Smokey Robinson was the B-side to it when it was re-released as a single. Um, it was the only one to re be released from the Jackson 5's first album. Uh, Diana Ross presents the Jackson 5. And then immediately following that, they put out ABC with all the songs you know and hits. But this was like, they were they were still just like fucking children. So it was like they needed a co-sign. You know what I mean? Like, no one's just going to buy these fucking kids' records. We need Diana Ross to say that they're great. Yeah. Um, it held... Um, for four weeks and held the number one position on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for a week when it came out. For a unknown artist, is just insane. Yeah. Um, especially then in you know fucking '69, is absolutely nuts. Um, it was ranked 104 on the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, and I 100% believe that that is ridiculous and it should be significantly higher than that. Even though I get it, like. You know, Rolling Stones, a rock and roll magazine, but like, come the fuck on, man. This has got everything. It's got the like disco-y, dancey guitar. The bass line's ridiculous. Yeah. Michael is shredding. Yeah, I have an acapella, or like, Spotify has an acapella version of just him singing. Yeah, like, it's amazing. The call-in response of, I want you back. Hey, yeah, show me so much. Like, so it's, good. It's so good, dude. Um, the dance routine in fucking... Um, the dance routine in Clerks 2... That they do to it is also super impressive. Got to be about it. Man. It's it's the it's one of the coolest songs of all time. Probably one yeah. of the best songs ever released by Motown. Definitely. G get in. G 
I don't know. I don't know how you got. You don't have to teach people about the Jackson. Yeah, yeah. they're incredible. <laughs> Dave, what do you got up for us at number one? All right, up at number one for me is Tomorrow by Silverchair. This is the one that inspired the idea for the playlist. I saw a documentary about Silverchair on YouTube. I had no idea that they were this young when this fucking song came out. No idea. That caught me so off guard. Um, I think the singer Daniel Johns was 14 or 15. Jesus. When this happened. So um, they're from Australia and... They, uh, this song is on their debut album, Frog Stomp, which came out in 1996. Uh, in 1994, they entered, they had a different band name and a different bass player, and, um, they entered, like, a battle of the bands, essentially, in Australia, and used a demo version of this song, um, in, it to enter the contest. They ended up winning the contest and got a bunch of, you know, extra things to help them on their way but then you know not even two years later the song comes out yeah and it's released they they did a different version that was then released in the u.s uh after the original release of frog stomp but this is their biggest single still to date and it was when they were just getting started which is crazy so what i thought was interesting was that in the documentary it talks about how they were far so they're a three-piece, but and they were inspired by grunge, but everyone just assumed that they were more inspired by Nirvana, but they actually cited Pearl Jam as being their biggest influence at the time, which I think probably would doesn't you don't really hear it as much i don't think either i don't know i i definitely hear pearl jam more in their sound you think so i i, I mean, have a hard time especially with the like i def- you, definitely don't hear nirvana that's for sure yeah like i just it's i mean i guess they said nirvana just because it's big big loud guitars but i and hear it's a way more piece. of like the uh and they're doing the whole you know quiet verse loud chorus thing true the whole pixies thing but i think i hear the i hear the the Pearl Jam in the chorus when he's just doing like the that's like, true yeah like yeah, doing a little true. more of the yarl yeah yowl yarl. sort of thing yeah. Um, yeah I don't know the right way yeah. to say that yeah um, it's really funny how southern they sound yeah being from like, Australia like it southern sounds American, like yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like it sounds like this could be like you know a band from like Georgia or something like that you it know does what I mean? like, yeah it does mm-hmm. it's wild yeah, and it's crazy too because like they basically broke up before they were eighteen. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. or like stopped really. Like the the point of the documentary was kind of to show that they like it was kind of to say a sad story about the band because it was kind of uh, challenging. I mean, they they had all this early success, but they like um, made it before they were ready. Right. Yeah. And um, they just really they didn't find some of. They had success, but didn't have the same level of success while they were playing as they thought that they sh- maybe should have, at the th- or maybe not enough to continue doing it the way they wanted to, and that kind of became a struggle for them. So it wasn't really easy for them, and they took a hiatus. I mean, the the lead singer, Daniel John, is still only 44 years old, and they basically weren't a band for 20 years. Jesus. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, they put out the song with Anth- or the album with Anthem for a year 2000, in 99 or 2000 and then really stopped being a band after that and didn't really do much um they still tour and play shows every once in a while but um i remember really liking that record freak show a lot yeah 
this one and both of these records are really good. Like, it's just, it's wild that, that they, you know, basically had run the full circle of fame before they were even 18 years old. So, uh, Neon Ballroom's the one that I'm thinking of. And that's, I was trying to figure out where it was, because I know the album cover that's like the neon sign, yeah. but it's not on Spotify. Which is weird. Neon Ballroom? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's just got a different... That's why I couldn't find it. Yeah. It's got a weird... Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's got a yeah, weird album like cover art on there. So they did put out an album in 2002 and another one in 2007, but you know they're, it lists them as you know years active, 92 to 2003, and then 2005 to 2011. So... You know, for the, for the dude to be in his young 40s and yeah. the band to have been broken up for 12 years. And, like, you can see that video where, like, when they're – because they played SNL. And, like, yeah. in that video, you can tell. You're like, how fucking old are these guys? Yeah. And, and then when you're watching it, you're like, what, like 17, 18? And yeah, you find and, out they're, like, way younger than that. You're like, yeah. Oh, okay. And, like, dealing with a lot of adult shit. Like, the one song's about how he be, pretty much became anorexic and, you know, had to, had to go through some of the mental – and physical issues that are associated with something like that. So, yeah, it just, you know, definitely a band that I wish could have stuck it out longer because what they did do was great. Mm-hmm. They just they just was too early, I think. I don't know. I don't really know what the issue was. But it's sort of sad, but not because they still do play. They play shows every once in a while, I think. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a bummer. But, you know, that's that was the inspiration for this one. Um, you know, if you... I think I feel like more people have heard the name than have listened to them at yeah, this point. I, and I feel like they, they had the same kind of trajectory to me. Obviously, people are like, no, they had follow-up songs and things like that as like uh, the Black Crows. When it came out and like that one song was like fucking huge. Can I tell you something? And then they had like a really decent career afterwards. But like they just kind of never like achieved that level again. Yeah. Can I tell you something? I think the Black Crows fucking suck. Do you really? Yeah, I hate them. I always dug that. They little thing. Like, There's this one song that Spotify keeps recommending to me and it is just I just hate it. It's they sound like a third jam band to me. Okay. And I don't I don't I was fuck with that. I was thinking of them as that Shake Your Money Maker where they were like a a hippier Guns N' Roses. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were like yeah. Southern Rock GNR. Yeah, that's, that's how I always thought of them. That's <laughs> and you hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I really, really just don't like it. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's mostly because of this one song that keeps getting recommended to me. That's just so fucking stupid. Like the chorus doesn't rhyme. It's just it's just dumb, and it's just I hate it. I really, really don't like them. Yeah. I mean, the Life is a Highway cover is a bad idea, but... I feel like 90% of what people know from them is covers. Like, they did yeah, the fucking Led Zeppelin thing. I, I just don't care. I, think that I don't was, care. I think that was really good. It was fine. With them they, and Jimmy Page. Because they the, didn't do, like, a lot of the, like, the songs that you would have expected. So it's like, okay, that's kind of neat. They're kind of like... And, and put a put a cool spin on them. You know what I mean? Sure. It wasn't just... It didn't sound I don't like mind karaoke. That. I don't mind that. I was like, oh, that was really cool. I would listen to that again, but I would not. The other stuff, uh, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, wasn't expecting to hate on anybody at the end of this one, but that's usually how it ends for us, to be honest. Um, all right. So this was cool. Um, hopefully nobody calls the cops on us for doing this episode. But, uh, you know, it was, you know, like I said, we just wanted, 
it's impressive when people are this. We're just appreciating young talent. Right. That makes it sound worse. There's really um, no good way to do it. Yeah. We, we just like watching kids do well. Um, we need to stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully uh, you got to hear some artists uh, that you we probably haven't talked about a ton um, or learned about somebody that, uh, you know, did some impressive music when they were, you know, young and much younger than we are now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this one. Um, and like and subscribe on your podcasting apps because we did accidentally miss this past week. Uh, life happens um, and sometimes life, breaks uh, have to happen. Finds a finds way. A way. Um, nice Jeff Goldblum reference there. Dan, tell everyone where they can find us. All right. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at D&D Music Factory. That's the letter D, the letter N, and the letter D again, followed by Music Factory. Uh, you can find me personally at, at LukewarmSteveAustin on Instagram and D.